human race, and we don't like being told what to do. Just what is it that you want to do? We want to be free. Yeah. We want to be free to do what we want to do. Yeah. We want to get loaded. Yeah. And we want to have a good time. And that's what we're going to do. It's pointless arguing with you. Welcome to episode 27 of First Strike, the Invasion podcast. The only podcast, <laughs> to our knowledge. <laughs> to our knowledge. <laughs> to our knowledge. The only podcast that covers the uh, DC Comics crossover from 1988, Invasion, exclamation point. Exclamation and point. all its tie-ins. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And uh, today we're doing another double feature. You know, we Since already... the aftermath, we started doing double features because we've talked about all the superheroes that were dear to us during the first part of the uh, of the podcast. And now we're in aftermath, so we can maybe speed it up a bit. Yeah, and uh, in this case, the characters meet in, yeah. in one another's books. We're talking about Wonder Woman number 26 and Captain Adam number 25. And since Captain Adam is in Wonder Woman 26... It made sense to just combine them. Yeah, but both uh, comics are, uh, they're not linked. Like the Flash and the the Manhunter one. Yeah, they it's, were it's not the in, same story. Exactly. Two different stories, but Captain Adam is in Wonder Woman And 25. at the end of that, he, see you in Captain Adam number 25. Exactly. So, okay, let's talk about Wonder Woman number 26. Let's. And uh, this one is called The Immortal Storm by writer George Perez with plot assist by Keith Giffen and Carrie Bates. Carrie Bates being Captain Adam's writer mm -hmm. and, of course, Keith Giffen being the mastermind behind Invasion. Penciler, Chris Marinan. Inker, Will Bleiberg. Letterers, Augustin Mas and Helen Vezik. Colorist, Carl Gafford. As edited by Art Young and Karen Berger. Let's look at this cover. Wonder Woman number 26 has a George Perez cover. Yeah. And it is gorgeous, I would say. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. Not atypical for George Perez. What we see here is... Two sets of Wonder Woman and Captain Adam fighting mm -hmm. one another, sort of mirrored with three what happens to be Durlin faces yeah. out in a purple Or uh, are Durlin feet? <laughs> well, this is supposed to, I think this is supposed to be like the, the hood, but it just yeah, looks yeah. like holes with tentacles coming out of them. It's very Cthulhu. Yeah. And in the background, Steve Trevor naked in some sort of machine suffering, being tortured. <laughs> And the backdrop is quite nice. It's this nice darker purple, which makes everything contrast nicely right. on, the, on the surface. And it's the costume of the, it's the yeah. hood of the Durlins. Wonder Woman looks fantastic. Captain Adam looks fantastic. It does reflect what goes on in the book, so that's also a plus. Although it's very intriguing and mysterious yeah. here. We don't know. We don't know that that's what's going to happen. Although exactly. It's kind of like foreshadowing for the story. Yeah. We should we should realize because if these are Durlins in the back, but even those seem hidden. It's like, what is that? What's but happening? We, we don't really get that they're Durlins. It took me a, a second. Yeah, me too. And, and I wasn't even sure if that was Steve Trevor in the background. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe, I don't know who that was. And it makes sense to uh, combine these two characters here because in the invasion, Steve Trevor, in a previous... Uh, Captain Adam story, Captain Adam number 24, during the first strike, Trevor was replaced by a Durlin. Yeah. And so that's that's a dangling plot thread that connects to the Wonder Woman mythos. Let's do a little synopsis and then we can talk about the story. Yeah. Wonder Woman leaves the company of the Justice League and returns to Boston where she makes her home. It is partially destroyed, not because of the invasion, that's what I thought at first, uh, but not because of the invasion, but due to events involving Ixion, Phobos, and Hermes in the issue prior to Invasion First Strike. Though sad, there's nothing she can do about it, so she goes to a nearby Air Force base to meet up with 
and a candy returned from the front. Captain Adam also meets them there to give them the bad news about Steve Trevor having been taken by the Durlins and replaced and that he might well be dead. An investigation pinpoints the pilot who brought fake Steve to Captain Adam's base in the first place and he's gone AWOL, so another Durlin. The captain and Wonder Woman fly out to intercept that plane which contains three Durlins and a captive and tortured Steve Trevor. The heroes down the plane in the South Pacific but by the time they get to the crash site, all but one Durlin are gone and have reached their base in a cave on the island. The heroes split up and are attacked by Durlin doppelgangers, which are quickly identified and beaten by Adam and Diana. They rescue Trevor, at which point Captain Adam flies off to the events of his own book, which we'll cover next, uh, while Diana returns to Boston, where, meanwhile, Hermes has been trying to atone by rebuilding the city with his godly powers, but the Creeper takes exception to his presence after the whole Ixion disaster and fights him. Diana shows up in time to finally put an end to the pointless battle, and then the sky is flooded with black light. Ooh, Gene Bump. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, that's about it. While there is some stuff going on that is mm -hmm. the stories Wonder Woman is really telling, it's also going to really tie into Invasion more than many of these books that we've seen yeah. in the aftermath. Yeah, well, yeah. And what I really liked about how this ties into the Invasion is the Durlins in this book compared to the Durlins on, you know, in in Cuba. Cuba and... These seem to be the smart Durlins. I think I think they sent the B team to, to Cuba, and and this is like the A team of the the Durlins because they're using their powers in great ways. You know, they're impersonating people. They're very tricky, yeah. like Durlins should be, right? They're camouflaging. I mean, they've yeah. got the whole suite of powers. They are chameleon boy. Yeah, and in this one, I mean, Wonder Woman at one point has to use the lasso of truth to get the Durlins to reveal themselves. So they're, I mean, I think yeah, that's it's... an interesting use of the lasso. Where it she, was, yeah. She wraps it around the, the yeah. plane's hulk, and that makes anyone inside just reveal themselves. Yeah. Well, Diana seems to have this aura. I mean, if she was like in a video game, she would be like, she'd have like a 30-foot aura of truth or something. I, yeah, you're Cause, right. Because uh, Captain Adam at one point just starts to spill beans. It <laughs> forgets his training and just starts saying stuff. Yeah, because early on in the issue, he's making like Cameron Scott, like, yeah. okay, this is the, Captain Adam's identity is kind of complicated, but in the 60s, he was Nathaniel Adam. That says real identity. And Nathaniel Adam becomes Captain Adam, is jumped forward 20, 25 years. He becomes Captain Adam, you know, in our time. Mm -hmm. And because Nathaniel Adam had been convicted of, wrongly convicted of crimes, military crimes, and he's like still young, he needs a new identity. So the, his cover identity is called Cameron Scott. Can we get that straight? Yeah. So he, at the beginning, he's going, oh yeah, um, Steve Trevor is a friend of Cameron Scott's. And, or, you know, he's kind of hiding it. Yeah, Cameron Scott is a different guy. Yeah. to him. That's how he's got to play it. But then suddenly, you know, while we're revealing truths, he, uh, he can just... I'm really Cameron Scott. I mean, I understand this is uh, just a way of telling us how, if we're just picking up the book, kind of gets us up to speed. And, and, and I get it. But it kind of, it was no, kind of weird. I, I, think, I think you're right. It's Wonder, I think, Wonder I think Woman she has this aura. Has this charisma. I, it's one of the, the powers that are less yeah. defined, but you just want to open up to her. Well, yeah, because... And it's what, not... You know, they don't have to say it in a caption no. box, and it's not like it doesn't have to be statted up and tracked. It's part, just part of 
her yeah it's who she is she has a like a plus five charisma to, i'm being very nerdy but she has this incredible charisma and it shows in this book even with her interactions with the gli how they part ways and and martian manhunter is like wow she's awesome and she's mm-hmm. great and and she thinks that about the martian manhunter too but uh you know she also teamed up with guy gardner and he was all right. And Ice her. is starstruck. And yeah. Uh, Red, Rocket Red the, is The starstruck. only person that... And I didn't really like that interaction between Ice and Fire in this book where they're, they're talking about Wonder Woman. They're like... Eh. And you know, Ice Ice is fine with it, but Fire's like... Eh, eh. She doesn't like and her. No. She doesn't like her. And it, it felt really like a guy writing a girl in this at this point. It was kind of this weird sexist thing where I, I felt uncomfortable. Although that's the characterization that was in JLI. Yeah, I know, I know. But it's jealousy. It's but it's like this fire weird... is used to being the bombshell who yeah, gets yeah, all the yeah. you know the boys' uh, attention. So now she's not. And Wonder Woman is I, just like I know, but Wonder Woman isn't trying to get the boys' attention. No. I mean, they're well. I mean, Wonder Woman. The thing is, is that her that ability, if we call it an ability, that, I think that high is. charisma is a passive trait because you you talked about charisma as a. D&D stat is basically what yeah, you yeah. did. Or a, uh, yeah, or a, a, some kind of a video game stat. World of Warcraft type aura thing. Because the way you, you talk about it just reminds me of how and why people with would use charisma in role-playing. Yeah. And usually, if you gave yourself high charisma, and I know because this is my type of character when I play, which is rarely, but when I play, is a very active trait to my mind yeah so that what if you've got high charisma then you're fast talking you're bullshitting your way through situations yeah. you're manipulating people Man- yeah exactly wonder woman doesn't do that it she's got the high charisma and it's just used to make people trust her but it's no it's not used to make mm-hmm. people trust her people trust her because she is highly charismatic and that yeah. just like changes the whole way i i'm looking at that trait Often just see her as, oh, she's so beautiful. I just like her and everybody likes her. And it's often like portrayed as some kind of attraction or sexual attraction. Mm. But I don't really think it's a beauty thing. I, I really think it's a charisma thing. And she's just soft spoken, but yet a warrior and that. And I think it's also true. And when we see a real Wonder Woman type figure on movies you or mean TV, live action, yeah. Because Linda Carter get... has that trait. She does. And um... Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot I, has I, that trait. I think she has that also. And that kind of transcends. It, they get us through the screen. And, yeah. and not just males, because I was... No, everybody. I was in a theater That's uh, why like last week. I was in yeah. the movies. And um, sitting with some of our friends from Mohawk who were not. You know, they showed footage because Wonder Woman's coming out on DVD or whatever. So yeah. in the, the pre-show, there were interviews with Gal Gadot. And um, one of the girls just went to suddenly was in awe of how beautiful she was. I mean, that's just an actress that you've seen before. It's, yeah. You know, it's, you know, she was in like Fast and Furious. and Yeah, yeah. So because she's Wonder Woman, but because she has that aura, it yeah. just attracts everyone and not necessarily sexually. I think that's why... So that's why she's well cast. She's. I think she's very well cast. And I think she has that. And that's why she often has the frowny face. A lot of people, you know, she's just frowning all the time. Well, yeah, because when she's just smiling, she just... Just lights up the room. You're just like, oh, she can't be a warrior. Well, she <laughs> is. And that's why yeah. she's always frowning. And even when she's just serious and, you know, her resting face is, is just so... I, I don't want to say attractive because I, I don't think it's just an attractive thing. I think she, she it goes beyond being attractive. And that's why I just like to call it charisma. But it, it's, yeah, 
She and has that. George Perez's Wonder Woman certainly has that. And it's oh, not yeah. about... Big time. And we're not even talking about whatever his art because he doesn't do the, the, the drawing inside. I think uh, Marinan in here is serviceable. Yeah, yeah. It's not, you know, it's especially once you, you've seen the cover <laughs> that anything else will pale yeah. in comparison. You know, no one... No one is George Perez. So it's serviceable. It's yeah, fine it's action. But she's not particularly beautiful no. in the art, necessarily. No. It's just like a normal, attractive superheroine. Exactly. But uh, within the interactions, that's... That's, that's where, where you see happens. it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting thing. You were talking about the Justice League in here because it opens up with, you know, basically the end of mm -hmm. the Justice League, um, like that first JLI thing, just before they have to do all the salvage stuff in yeah. the, the recent issue. And the uh, Injustice... League. It's, All the, it's, it's before yeah, that. It's yeah, before it's in that. between that. And um, they sort of. Oh, I. You know, I wonder if we could work together. It's kind of, I wonder if we, if I'll work with the Justice League again and all that. Mm -hmm. And they're sort of teasing here uh, because she's going to join the Justice League Europe soon. So in the wake of Invasion, one of the aftermath results is that the Justice League needs to expand. And they're going to set up a full team in Europe following this. So Justice League International will become America kind of based okay. and Justice League Europe it will be in Paris. Uh, once again going back to the Wonder Woman movie, she's in Paris. Yeah. Right? It's true. So. That's true. Although she won't last. Uh it that's the sad thing because uh, they do put Wonder Woman and Captain Adam, both these guys in the Justice League Europe, Captain Adam being uh leader of the team. But Wonder Woman lasts like an issue or two. It's like, it doesn't really pan out. Her and okay. Animal Man just don't stick around. It's like, let's try to put these characters together. And then either there's just too much stuff happening in the Wonder Woman comic that interferes. Yeah. I don't remember the, the circumstances. Or writers just couldn't get a handle on her. Or how well, the she, dynamics didn't work with her and Power Girl, who was also in that team. I don't know. She was kind of rebooted at this time, right? She was relatively people were acting like she was a new right this is uh, issue uh, 26, 26 so it's yeah. been 26 issues since this new wonder woman exists maybe writers didn't have an, a handle or they still don't have a handle on wonder uh, yeah, woman yeah exactly. um but this is sort of supposed to tease okay uh, both these characters appearance in justice league europe because it's going to happen like next month well, they'll they'll be in justice league europe animal man was in justice league europe very briefly that's a far commute well, the teleport I mean, tubes. Oh, yeah, that's right. And in fact, there's a famous issue of Animal Man, uh, issue 8, 9. Martian Manhunter's on the cover. It's a Brian Baldwin cover. Okay. And uh, it's basically all about the Justice League coming in to install that teleport tube in his house. And oh, then... yeah, I remember that. I, I okay. have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's in the first trade. I yeah, think. and for some odd reason, I think Mirror Master pops in. Yeah, I think so. Pops that's in that's and... probably it. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've got that. <laughs> I've read that. Yeah, so that's that point. Oh. But Animal Man never really fulfills his potential well, as a know. Justice League. Yeah, Animal Man had his own thing going. I mean, it's... They even make fun of it when he meets Grant Morrison. Okay, yeah. Uh, at the end of the that run. Yeah. He's like, you know, I never seem to be doing anything when I'm with the Justice League. Or, yeah. <laughs> See, that's... that's I, I read all of Animal Man before I even started this thing, and I own these trades, and... And now I'm going to have to read him back because now I am I have a better handle on the, the context in which Animal Man lives now. Basically, Invasion is the reason his good work during the Invasion, he did stop that Tenegarian bomb, yeah, yeah. kind of gets him a spot on the Justice League. Wow. You know, it's like uh, the reward for, after the Invasion, so you're going to re reward some of the heroes. Who's with. his reference? Hawkman? Hawkman <laughs> says, well, you know, Animal Man did all this and so, oh, so I'm going to have to like Hawkman now. 
because he's probably on, you know, yeah, Animal Man CB there. He's probably what, yeah, he's probably a reference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What did you think of the pros in this? Because I thought, for, for myself, I thought the, the pros was a bit purplish. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, I'll give you an example. You mean dialogue? You mean... Uh... I mean the narration. Ah, narration. Well, yeah, it's... Well, you know what? Because here's the... <laughs> I'll just give you an example that I just went... This is the... At that point, I wrote the note. Okay. <laughs> because of... Oh, Jesus. Uh, it's the bottom of page 11, the airplane crash. Mm -hmm. Narrator says, George Perez says, Emerald sentinels decapitated by monstrous blades... Wildlife screaming, their sanctuary violated. It's a plane crashing in trees. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the prose was a bit, I think that's... It's a bit heavy-handed, maybe. <laughs> it's like poetry. It's, yeah, it was. I didn't think too much about it. You know why? Because we're having to deal with a lot of, uh, you know, we have Hermes in there. Mm -hmm. And we have Diana, who's very always kind of formal when talking to everybody. And, and it weirdly kind of fit. Because of that context, every time we are dealing with gods and stuff like that, they rarely have like this Brooklyn accent, right? They, they have this <laughs> rarely. formal way of speaketh and, and it's, they're very Shakespearean for some odd reason, even if they're Greek. And, you know, so I kind of just read it and didn't think twice about it, uh, maybe because of that. No, that's a good if, point. If it was in, I don't know, a Blue Beetle and, you know, I'd, I'd be like, what? What's this? Why are we doing this? Is it a joke? But in this one, I, it kind of just went under my radar. Okay. <laughs> as far as the dialogue goes, I mean, the only the only thing that I sort of twitched on was, uh, was well, it's not the fault of the comic, but uh, I just realized that they call Captain Adam's home base the... Uh, Invasion Command Central, as if we were conducting the invasion, but it's yeah. just like a response. Yeah. It should be a response center, but I guess they know the name of the crossover. I, I <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Although I did, you know what? It's kind of that the side story in this book, and it's not really linked to invasion, mm -hmm. but... The creeper coming out of the yeah, I agree. It's kind of kind of weird. Mm. I always try to find some symbolism or something in there because it it has to have a meaning. It has to be something. And and you know, I was just looking at it, and it, it's just crazy. You know, creeper comes out of nowhere. Nobody really knows him. Do we know who the creeper is at this point? Well, you, we as readers. Okay, but he's in Boston. I don't know. I if... mean, he's had his own comic in the past. So and, and he... Boston is his town, hometown. I or... guess, but that, that that was news to me. I I mean, he's been all over the place. He's been in okay. Gotham. He's been in New That's York. That's what I was. That was, that was that was. I I thought you know he was okay. So he's in Boston. So he's, he's, he's calling it his town. Yeah. So he's he's a Bruins fan. Yeah, he's a Bruins uh, fan, and he, <laughs> you know he's he's doing all the I'm from Boston type thing. Yeah. He's also and, a uh, punk icon because all the yeah. punks on the street, the 1988 punks go, yeah, yeah Creeper! <laughs> yeah, Creeper, they, they love him. Uh, but it, there's this weird thing where Hermes is trying to rebuild and they have this weird special effect where just, you know, buildings who were all crumbled just go back. Right, time reversal. Yeah, but it's not really a time reversal. It's just, they just go back to where they were and people are caught in this. Did you see these people caught in the in where beams like metal beams and rocks and concrete and we have people just flying in this because it's putting people back where they were. Is there? Oh yeah. Because I'm looking. I'm. There's one. This one panel. I I don't know where exactly it is. 
but there are people in there. Here. Oh, yeah. And Grabbing on to... But it's, just holding on it's to the not beam. A, it's not a, a reverse time thing. It's just going back. So people are caught in it. So these people are going to get, you know... And maybe... Yeah, this is the point where Creeper actually goes... You know, he appears at that point because this might be a bit, you know, harmful. And it's... People could get hurt. People are. I mean, I mean, you're they're flying with metal beams and concrete. It, how can they not get hurt? Although by the end, he regrets his actions. Or... Yeah, well, that's a weird thing. His voice He's changes. He's in the lasso. And, yeah. So he can't... He's not faking. So the creeper has been alternatively done, whether he's actually mad or yeah, we faking don't... it as like a, a, yeah. a persona. So in this, it seems to be a persona because as soon as he's wrapped up in the lasso, he's actually yeah. being Jack Ryder instead. So, But it's it's a weird thing. It's a weird fight. The only real thing I saw with it is some kind of chaos versus order or power versus not power. Because, I mean, <laughs> Creeper's, he's jumping around and kicking, but you know he's not doing anything. And I was trying to just get something out of it, but it really just feels like, hey, here's the Creeper. <laughs> Possibly he's in a few more issues. You know, now that he's in Boston and yeah. she's in Boston, maybe they've got plans for him? Hopefully. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I did not read Wonder Woman beyond this point. I don't even get what the fur thing is on his back. Is it, was it back to be, hair? It was a Halloween costume. Okay. And his transformation returns him every time to that moment. Okay. Uh, whatever. It's a very strange character. It's a very strange character. I, I like him. I don't know why I like him. I like him. But... He's very weird. It's not like the issue needed more action because no. we do have... Although, I guess the action against the Durlins is played with... Basically, they're telling us that our heroes can beat these guys easy. Because, it, you know, you don't see a whole lot of... It's not like a big transforming yeah. kind of battle. I, I like the, the fights because it's even told as like sort of in shortcut mm -hmm. as soon as wonder woman figures out that she's facing a fake captain adam by the time we cut to captain adam we don't get we don't need to see a scene where he realizes it's a fake yeah. wonder woman he knows he's he already, already fighting, knows yeah so they're sort of cross-cutting between the two fights and um we don't need to be told the same thing twice and both heroes are super smart you know that's wonder woman's charisma captain adam immediately knows it's not the real thing he says yeah. that you don't have the lasso so obviously but it's also when you're in the presence of wonder woman you sort of feel it yeah and uh, that's the one thing that Duralyn couldn't fake exactly that's interesting uh and uh wonder woman is quick to to spot that's not the real captain adam either because yeah. she's very empathetic I think that's part of it. Uh, and I like how, you know, one of the Durlins is just beaten behind the scenes. It's just, <laughs> the, scene, the scene goes, I love this little scene. It's where uh, Captain Adam finally beats him. Because it goes, um, yeah, the fake Wonder Woman pulls out a sci-fi rifle. Mm -hmm. And uh, he goes, um, the important question you should ask yourself is, will this rifle actually kill him or just make him madder? Next shot. Fake Wonder Woman getting thrown out of a door. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess that, that answers that question. So. <laughs> I love that moment because it's really, it's it's Dirty Harry-ish. Was it five yeah. bullets or six? And it's, it kind of feels like that, you know? Do you think really yeah. I absorb energy? You think a blaster will? So, yeah, it, it was, that's kind of how I read it. Yeah, so we don't need to see it go straight to punchline. Yeah. Which is a very efficient way to write this thing. Really, this is this is one of the stronger tie-in issues that we've read. I say yeah, stronger exactly. I, you know, I have no basis for that. We've had a lot of very good tie-in <laughs> yeah. issues. But, um, you know, as far as the writing a yeah. guest star in here, exactly. it works well. I really like the Durlins in this one. I mean, they're not as strong. They're not as... But they're devious and they're using their powers in the right ways. They're not saying stupid stuff like... Uh, they're not being dumb. 
they're they're being Durlins on a mission, and uh, I, I really like that. I, I would have liked to have these Durlins everywhere. The Durlins could conceivably have been, you know, you do a line-wide crossover just with Durlins, which is basically what uh, Marvel did with Secret Invasion. Yeah, exactly. You you could have, they're the Skrulls. Yeah, they're basically they're Skrulls. They're basically Skrulls. <laughs> Secret oh, Invasion yes. is obviously a copy of both Millennium and Invasion <laughs> mixed together. <laughs> And then they just uh, remember Secret Wars. We'll just put the word "secret" in there. <laughs> yeah. That's how crossovers are made these yeah, days. It's yeah, only exactly. it's always like didn't just Marvel just do this? Didn't just DC just do this? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should slack off on the huge crossovers. <laughs> just 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 a little while, just to see how it feels. You know, just uh, you know, just any last thoughts on this issue before we move on? I really liked it. Uh, you know what? Creeper really won my heart okay. in this one because he called Hermes herpes, and that to me was hilarious. I actually lulled okay. in real life. I laughed out loud. It was uh, I. It's I a good sophomoric saw, joke. Yeah, I kind I kind of saw it coming, but he actually said it, and I just loved it. But yeah, it's one of the best uh, tie-in issues we have. Well, we read in the sense that it, it's also really tying into well it, uh, invasion because we had that yeah. plot thread about uh, exact Trevor. Exactly. Now we have that wrapped up in, in, in a nice way, and it's I, I really liked it. We'll take a small break for promo or such, and we, we have promos. We have promos for other shows, other fine shows, and then when we come back. We'll talk about Captain Adam number twenty-five. I'm Diablo Frank, and I've been a fan of the Amazing Amazon for my entire life. To be truthful, I'm not a typical fan of the Paradise Island set. I'm not big on mythology, and I'm highly critical of the most popular Themyscirin stories. I like it when Wonder Woman loses her powers and hangs out with a tiny blind Asian martial arts master named Ai Ching. Or when she works at Taco Bell and helps collect child support for a co-worker from a deadbeat mafioso dad. Or when she rides around on kangaroo ponies from outer space and is a little too into bondage and spanking for the squares. Wonder Woman is great, but I really miss Diana Prince. The reminder that the heroine feels and fails and bleeds like the rest of us. That's why I call my podcast about her Diana Prince Wonder Woman. Because I like to remember there's a woman behind all that wonder. And I'd like to talk about her if you care to listen on iTunes, Shout Engine, and the Internet Archive. Captain Adam. We're back. We're talking about Captain Adam number 25. He's just left Wonder Woman. And then there's a, probably a little bit of time. And then <laughs> and then this issue. I don't know if this issue came out the same week as Wonder Woman. It's just that the, the cover has this very close shade of purple in the background. Yeah, I, it would, it I would, do find that ominous cloud kind of strange. It is. It's like there's a, like a, been an explosion in the back. Yeah. Like a building been destroyed in the back or something. There's such a low, dark cloud. Uh, yeah, this cover by Pat Broderick and Bob Smith, who are also the interior artists, has a couple things going for it. One of them is that, well, the, the central image is Captain Adam receiving a medal, mm -hmm. possibly magnetized. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that... <laughs> he doesn't really have a shirt. Uh, and other people are about to get medals as well. So that's Ronald Reagan's arm mm -hmm. giving out the medals. And behind... Captain Adam are in line with him are General Wade Eiling, Amanda Waller, The Flash, Wally West, Martian Manhunter, Firestorm, and The Atom, which are not necessarily the same people getting medals inside. It's not something that the issue necessarily focuses on very much. And the other thing that's interesting is that the Captain Adam logo is all stars and stripes. Yeah. Which I think looks pretty cool. Yeah, it does. And uh, we know it's Ronald Reagan's arm because he has the presidential cufflink. Aha. That's how we know. A good cover? It's a good cover. It's it's an okay cover. I mean, the art is okay. It's, there's a lot of little liney things. That's, uh, yeah, Pat Broderick's art is very... He puts, like, little lines in the yeah. where the shades go. Yeah. I should, like it. I like yeah, it. I've always liked with his stuff. It's fine. I kind of like it. I The only thing is he's, like, 
Kent and Adam is on this weird... You know what? You don't like the profile? <laughs> I don't... It's like a true profile. He kind of looks like a coin, like a 25 cents and, and a face on there or something. And that kind of put me off a little bit. I don't know why. Just Well, some of the characters on the cover are, you know, sort of at it almost an angle. But yeah. most of them are actually profile, straight up yeah. profile. Uh, I like how uh, Eiling, he's kind of giving Captain Adam the side eye. Yeah. <laughs> and the stink eye. Yeah, at the same time. It's like, mm, doesn't quite like being next to him or something. Yeah, yeah. There's there's like this weird tension in this cover. and But it's not really, it's something we'll see, but it's not really uh, telling anything about the story. I like it because in the aftermath of the invasion, of course there's going to be medals. Oh, of yeah. course there's going to be a celebration, like a V-Day celebration. And this cover pays tribute to that idea mm -hmm. and also makes sense that Captain Adam is involved because he was the leader of the superhuman forces. Yeah. And in fact, you've got like the first three characters are basically leaders in invasion. Maxwell Lord not present. He was also Justice League liaison. He was part of that yeah. group. Uh, but uh, he's, he's in the issue. He's just not on the cover. The comic is called Slow Burn by writer Carrie Bates, co-plotter Greg Wiseman, penciler Pat Broderick and inker Bob Smith, as I said, letterer Carrie Spiegel, colorist Shelley Iber, as edited by Dan Raspler and Denny O'Neill. Let's get into a little synopsis here. And there's a lot... There's a lot of happening, yeah. actually. Captain Adam is on Air Force One on the first page with President Reagan heading for New York where he and several other heroes are meant to receive medals and take part in V-Day celebrations. While Reagan can't help Nathaniel Adam clear his name, he can reinstate his newer identity, Cameron Scott, to the Air Force with a promotion and an assurance that General Wade Eiling won't ever harass him again. The medal ceremony is also attended by Major Force, the other beneficiary of the Captain Adam project. He's a psychotic killer who emerged from the experiment with matter-producing powers. Uh, an agent of the Air Force like Captain Adam uh, was, he is believed to be a hero, but he's unstable. He's so jealous of Captain Adam, his role as leader of the superhuman forces, and his recent promotion that he leaves in a fit but his military masters, who watch from sensors embedded into his metal skin, are worried he might do something drastic in New York City, so they ask Captain Adam to keep an eye on him. It's the last favor he'll ever do for Eiling and his crew. So he gets Major Force back and brings him to Rockefeller Center, where he's meant to take part in a celebration video and New York tourism spot. Things go awry when Captain Adam gets too much attention from onlookers, Time for a heart-to-heart -heart on Ellis Island then. But it's interrupted by a blimp rigged by the Xenoist terrorist army to explode unless their demands are met. Captain Adam leaves Major Force behind to destroy the blimp. And when Force tries to help, his thunder is stolen by Adam as he falls into the river. When he wakes up, having been fished out by Captain Adam, he feels humiliated and even more angry. But a biker chick called Truly comes to him and says she's a fan. They go for a walk while Captain Adam takes part in a ticker tape parade. But then the biker chick's boyfriend shows up, an easy rider called Killer, and it turns out she was really just trying to make him jealous. Force knocks Killer out and takes Truly into Central Park to probably kill her as his Air Force handlers manically activate the gas pellets he's got in his head. Captain Adam is called in and finds Major Force has built up a tolerance to that gas, and even likes it. His main handler truly hopes he'll kill Truly because he could then explode the bomb in Major Force's head and be rid of him. But Captain Adam talks him down and the visible green gas is used as a cover story to say he was under some criminal's control. As Captain Adam reflects on the day's events, the gene bomb explodes in the sky. 
<laughs> I, I must say the Gene Bomb effect is not as good as in the other books. It's kind of, you know... But it's not know. black and white. Uh, they it, kept colors. Yeah, they kept it. colors in this one. And, 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 and I mean, it's fine. I'm not going to be picky on that. But, you know, it's like this constant thing. And we have this kaboom and we have colors. And this thought bubble is black all of a sudden. But <laughs> that's kind of weird. But somebody was asleep on that one. Part of the skyline is white. The tree is white. But then the rest isn't. It's very strange. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like... It should all have been uncolored. So well, all the colors should have been black and all the black lines should have been white. Yes, you're right. So that's not what's happening No, here. Not I, at I'm, all. I've also got problems with... And this is not the first one to do... It's, it's the gene bomb sometimes explodes dramatically. Like Power yeah. of the Atom. It was like, like this huge explosion in the yeah. sky. But sometimes it's just like heroes are just, yeah. just sitting there and then it blows up. And then just go, huh... There's no urgency <laughs> to those panels. Sometimes there's this, this this huge boom, and sometimes it's just... <laughs> and this, even though there's yeah. a kaboom... No, mm, nobody cares, really. I don't... No, it's another it's kaboom. It's just like, he's just sitting there. There's no reaction from the hero. We it's had a blimp cool. in the sky, and people reacted. This thing goes off, and people just... Meh, eh, sky's black all of a sudden. Yeah, oh, well. It happens a lot, and sometimes they just like put like... There's an explosion, but no real reaction. Like the Wonder Woman finale... Also had just like, boom, and it's just like yeah. this t- tiny little panel. Just tiny little panel, Maybe yeah. by that point, they're thinking, well, people know by now. Yeah, I think that's how they see it. You know, because if you do a full, that's I fine. mean, using a full page, that's at least six panels. I mean, you're losing a lot of story. Still, just make it a little bit, you know. Kept Adam standing up and going, you know, arms wide. And yeah. Stunned. And he... But I no, mean, he's like just sitting on a rock. Well, what happens is with this bomb thing... We know it's going to, you know, maybe kill all the metahumans or it's something. We don't really know what it's going to do, but there could be some foreshadowing. If they're just sitting there and, and nothing happens to them, we don't have this sense of urgency with this thing. But if all of a sudden they react... Because when a... you're, you're telling me, uh, oh, you want to know what happens with the gene bomb? Go to invasion number three. If I'm a just the Captain Adam fan and I see that panel, and then is that going to get me to buy Invasion Number Three? Well, I, you know. I don't see any urgency into buying it. I don't, I don't see. So that's why I know people probably got tired of the, you know, the whole kaboom and dramatic thing. I get it, but still, you got to keep that up because, like you said, some people are probably just Captain Adam fans or Wonder Woman fans, and they didn't pick up everything. So you know, you just go, all right. I, I there's no sense of I need to pick up Invasion. Let's go back to... That was the last page. Let's go back to the first page. You know what? Opening shot. Okay. Opening shot was brilliant. I love that opening shot. You see Captain Adam, eyes closed. We understand everything in that opening shot. We don't know he's in Air Force One, but you know he's on a plane. And he's sleeping. sleeping. And it feels like this weight just came off and he can just relax now. But, you know, somebody's saying, Hey, Captain, wake up. It's, It's so telling. That just that first panel, that first page. A lot of this was on him, so yeah. he's uh, he's dead tired. I did feel like that was they worked hard. They were you know adrenaline pumping, and I don't know if adrenaline pumps in Captain Adam. I don't know what his <laughs> what his adrenal glands look like. I, I know they're probably metal or energy. I don't know, but you know there's this thing, and he's now relaxing. That that first panel really felt like an aftermath, that sigh of relief type thing. And then there's the re- joke reveal. Where not only is he sleeping on a plane, yeah. he's he's sitting across the the table from the president of the United States. Yeah. So uh, he fell asleep in front of the commander in chief. So somebody like prods him, and it's especially funny 
and even the Reagan character yeah. mentions it is because this is a president that was known for taking naps. Exactly. And he says it. You <laughs> know, I, it. I know how taking naps is good. And I, I just love seeing Ronald Reagan in this, not because I'm a fan, because I can hear his voice when he talks, right? We know what Ronald Reagan's voice is. Yeah. So when you read the panels, you, you actually have his voice in your head. Yeah. And that's just great. I just love that. Uh, so that this is a fun idea, for oh, yeah. sure. Uh, then he's giving the medals, and then they're, you know, ticker tape parades, all of that. I'm not convinced by the tourism spot featuring Major Force as one yeah. of the celebration elements. There's a lot of stuff that's Where clanky. he's tab dancing. and uh, This is all clanky. The blimp is clanky. Yeah, the blimp. Huh? I, what was that, and why would... I, it's just a weird-ass plot point where you want to see Major Force being upstaged by Captain Adam, and they just throw a blimp with explosives in it, really? You yeah. didn't see a blimp coming from a mile away. I mean, and what is this? The Xenoist uh, terrorist. I mean, it's it's a nonsense word, but it's sounds too much like Zionist, which would make them. And, I, and I, I, that whole thing is. Mm, it's shaky. It's blah, and it's not like they don't have. They had sympathizers. They had human sympathizers for the invasion, right? We had these people who invaded or or helped the invaders. They tried to take the English Parliament. Mm -hmm. uh, and we already have sympathizers for the invasion, so why not use them? You know, as I I, I just didn't get it. I was like, mm -hmm. well, why? Or why not a you know a stranded group of kuns? Or there was a way to tie it into the invasion much more. Now we have this. We we I don't know if it was created for that one thing, but we have these Zeno whatever, and it it just felt. Ugh. Unless that's what it's supposed to be, because Xeno, like xenophobia or Xeno, you know, that, that word means strange or alien. Yeah, yeah. So is it, are, are these Xeno, what, what, what are the demands? What are the demands again? Maybe, uh, the, maybe, uh -oh. maybe I just glossed over that, and I mean it's right there. And there's a clue there. Attention, New York. This is the Zinuist terrorist army speaking. They call themselves terrorists. Mm -hmm. That's how you know they're not good terrorists. This blimp has been rigged with enough high explosive to level every skyscraper within a two-mile radius. If the demands we have given, okay, your so mayor, so they gave the demands. We don't to even the mayor. know what they are. Okay, okay. We don't even know what the demands are. So, so they're just going to kill people and they have demands. For whatever reason. And we have somebody in the blimp. So we have uh, one guy in the blimp and explosives. and. So maybe they are Xenoists because they are alien sympathizers. Xeno being well, alien. Yeah, yeah, but... Alienists. Well, that's kind of deep for... Well, I that's mean, making us you, work you a lot. You sort of have to figure it out. We're, I mean, we're just... I mean, two pages earlier, we had Major Force tap dancing in a promo spot. And then we have to, you know, and he's, you know, really on the nose with, I don't like it because, you know, Captain Adam has all the glory. And then we have to have this whole, the Xenoists, and are they really hating the aliens? And, and we have to do all this thinking? No, I think it's... Oh. I don't know. I just didn't like it. <laughs> just, well, it feels like an unfinished it's, yeah. sort of idea. We really needed to know more. We did. Uh, to make sense of this. The artwork in this book is uh, is okay, but I really didn't like it. I, I don't want to say it's bad because I don't know. Some of it I is... love the way um, Pad Broderick renders like those armors, those metal shells that they have. Well, sometimes, I've always, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you, you know, know, you look at Major Force's face and sometimes his eyes are at this yeah, weird angle. Yeah, the faces angle, can be gooey. And there's a lot of lines and thin lines also. Maybe because I, I like thicker lines and <laughs> I don't know. I just... Maybe it's the contrast with the Wonder Woman book that I loved. This one kind of left me a bit 
Meh. Okay. Well, that's that's fine. I think. But there it's... there are great things in there. Okay. Like funny things. You know the tap dancing and everything, and you know Major Force having these baby fits and these very pre-adolescent type things. You know. He's like, mm, I, I, I want more glory. And why? Why? Why would we give you that? You didn't do anything. <laughs> You're a part of a bunch of people who saved the earth. Thank you. What more do you need? You want you want to be king? What? Yeah. What do you want? Well, he is a villain. I mean, it, yeah. he's always been a villain. It's just the way it's set up. So basically, we're, we're using the aftermath yeah. to propel his character ever further into villainy until you know eventually yeah. everything comes to a head he's I, maybe because i don't like major force i don't know he gets tricked by a girl named truly what kind of name is that first of all it feels rushed <laughs> it's just rushed yeah i don't know i think you're right that it's basically because they want to push you know confrontation with major force they keep humiliating him again and again and again and really, he wouldn't be humiliated if he didn't have such a, a big ego or a, yeah. a disproportionate sense of who he is and his importance. Yeah, yeah. That's basically what it is. You know, he's a reverse Captain Adam is, is what he is. So uh, it's basically his story. And at least the backdrop is related to invasion. Yeah. So you've got that, you know, parade and you've got the heroes being celebrated and used yeah. to sell stuff and the medals and meeting the president. So all of that stuff would have happened. Uh, I like the idea. That I wish that broadcast really existed. But <laughs> Ronald Reagan giving the names of every superhuman who helped in the invasion. <laughs> how long would that have been? Uh, pretty long. But, you know, it, it would have been cool to, you know, hear Ronald Reagan say every superhero name. Yeah, so That'd be great. If you're a Z-lister... You're just waiting for him to say your name. Yeah, Tasmanian yeah. Devil is yeah, like, yeah. Tasmanian Devil's going, yeah. Going, I was one of the first one. I have a purple heart. Oh, no, they didn't name me because I'm not an American. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Australia. Well, they were, you know, defeated quickly, so that's what you get. <laughs> well, they have one superhero. I know. And he's a Tasmanian Devil. So he spent the invasion in jail. I know. Poor guy. Yeah. Eventually, we'll join the Justice League Europe. Oh, well, there you go. Because there's, there's no real Justice League Australia. Yeah. Oh, poor... Oh. <laughs> We're neglecting Australia. Oh, poor them. They have one superhero. He's being transferred to it's, Europe. It's one of the major English-speaking countries, so you'd think. Mm -hmm. But, you know, how many comics take place in Canada? Or even the UK. Yeah. Exactly. Made by the big two, you know. Oh, yeah, they don't. There's very we have few. great characters, though. Oh, not in DC Comics. No, we DC don't. Comics, we don't. We don't. We have Sasquatch in Marvel Comics. DC, man, you got, you got to step up your Canadian game. Uh, well, they did with uh, the Justice League United uh, in the New 52. They sort of... Oh, the thing nobody they, read. I read it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh. It was pretty good, but it had Animal Man in it, so uh, it was a must for me. But okay. um, So okay. they, they, they rebranded some characters as Canadian. So Adam Strange, the science fiction hero. Yeah. Now Canadian. Booster Gold, now Canadian in the New 52. but Booster was, Gold, Canadian now. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. No sense. I guess the CFL is really... <laughs> the CFL in the future... Yeah, is, future CFL. CFL is not only over. popular, but <laughs> rife with corruption. You know, So that, that would have been the Booster Gold. No, Booster Gold doesn't feel at all like a Canadian character. No, we should have like wood-based or cold-based or water-based 
characters. For just the United Delta created a character that was uh, a Canadian native. Um, you know, I'm trying to think who else was in there that was Canadian, but not very many. I think uh, people came. Green Arrow was in that. They just came across yeah. the border. Green Arrow and Animal Man, Martian Manhunter, I think. So DC needs to step up its Canadian. Because for a long while, yeah. they only had like the Flying Fox, who was one of the young All Stars. Young All Stars, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> the continuing stories of the stars. The All-Star Squadron. Yeah, the yeah. All-Star Squadron. Yeah, so not many Canadians, that's true. No, no, and there's... Plastique. Plastique is Canadian. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. But they made her evil. Well, she, yeah. Well, well, they didn't make her evil. She was always evil. Oh, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> that, that doesn't happen here enough. Uh, well, in Captain Adam, they sort of redeemed her because there was like yeah. a love affair between Captain Adam and Plastique. Well, yeah. An explosive <laughs> romance <laughs> between the two. Anyways, uh, we're off track. We are, we are. Uh, coming back to this issue of... Uh, we're talking about Justice League in various versions. Yeah. But the Justice League, I didn't mention it, but Justice League gets... A page in this. Yeah, they do actually. And you know, it's you've been reading Justice League International. Yeah. Uh, recently, so maybe you can fill me in on why, like Mister Miracle, and don't yeah. like Captain Adam. I was asking myself that same question. No idea. Does not ring a bell. Okay. I have no idea. It's just strange because, uh, again, they're should... prefiguring that soon Captain Adam will yeah. be made leader of one of the major Justice League teams. Well, but didn't Captain Adam just say no to the Justice League or didn't want to? Be part of it. He, he was in it not for a long, for yeah. a short time, right? And, and maybe that's it. But it feels like in this page where you know Blue Beetle and Mister Miracle are like, yeah, we don't like that guy because it doesn't. So it's like feel sour like grapes. Just, yeah, it does feel like sour grapes, but it feels deeper than that. Okay, now Maxwell Lord is taking it over, and yeah. these heroes have to be in it. So boom, and Captain Adam was sort of the. Just like Rocket Red, they were plants from certain countries. Captain Adam was added to the roster because the U.S. said we need our guy in there. Okay, yeah. Is that it? Is that like when they found out it was a betrayal? It's like we're in this team to be in this team and you're in this oh, team because maybe. you're actually like a spy just like Rocket Red was. And it could the first Rocket Red, Red was actually like a yeah, Manhunter. Could be that. I was wondering the same thing. Why Why don't they like Captain Adam? Shag, how about you tell us what, you know? <laughs> I just really don't remember. I don't remember any kind of, that kind of strife in the team. But, I mean, it's, for me, it's been years. And even for readers of that time, it would have been at least a year. Yeah, at least. Since those Justice League issues. At least, because, yeah, because that would have been in the They came in around number seven. Yeah, it would have been in the earlier issues where they're. It feels like they're trying to like get a big gun inside the Justice League. We had uh, Captain Marvel or Shazam uh, leaving. Leaving Guy Gardner was the only big gun there. Martian Manhunter. And Man yeah, and Martian Manhunter. But he was like shy. That was his shy period. <laughs> he was like, ooh, I'm not overpowered. Although in in reality, it's probably to help boost sales for Captain Adam. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, in all reality, but let's let's not. I. I I don't like when reality just breaks the... It has to feel like these things live by themselves. Okay. it's I, organic. Yeah, it has to. If, if I don't want to blame corporate for you know ruining stories, but it, most of the time corporate. Any last thoughts on Captain Adam number 25? I mean, you can kind of see it. It's a lesser liked comic book for, well, for my taste. There's a lot of zany stuff and some funny bits, and but I just didn't feel it really coming through as you know this the aftermath felt real in the first four pages and then it kind of went all major force mm -hmm. and i think that's where i i a major force wasn't a major element in any no. of the previous 
exactly. stories we've read. So it's like his jealousy comes out of nowhere for a reader like yourself who's yeah. just coming into it. I was more invested in the Major Force story because I was reading Captain Adam at the time. But it does just kind of abandon the yeah. invasion threads to pursue Captain Adam threads, which <laughs> happens a lot in this later part of the crossover. Well, it felt like one of these Family Guy episodes where the setup is just a reason to have like this other thing going on. So you have five minutes of, hey, this is what's starting, and then whoop, we have another story coming in. So it kind of felt like that. And uh, yeah, we had some funny bits. And, you know, we have this one shot of Major Force riding <laughs> Captain Adam like a donkey <laughs> while he's, you know, he's flying. And it, it was There's like, a lot of that. There's a yeah, lot was, of people on the... Yeah, well, sitting it, on um, it, Captain Adam's bum, Maxwell Lord in that in the previous issue. It feels like these little little shout outs to that, like the Silver Age, where a lot of stuff like that happened. Batman would ride on Superman's back, and you know, it just felt funny. But uh, I, I didn't really get invested in this. And the last panel, as much as I liked the first panel, I really hated that last panel, which just didn't do the Gene Bomb justice, in my opinion. And and the art is, you know, all over the place. In my opinion, once again, I, I don't know. I, it's overliney and it's it's mucky in my my opinion. But in your opinion, of course. I don't know. I just don't. I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> I don't well, want people saying you don't know anything about art, and I don't. But there's there's a lot of lines. I don't know. Well, which, which are the good ones? Just play the right notes, Jazz. Let's see what your opinions are, people at home. Yeah. Or in your car. I mean, you don't have to listen to this at home. No, you can. I, I, I just it's just a turn of phrase. Yeah, it's. It's, you can do it where you want. We'll take another small break. Yeah. When we come back, letters from the front. Letters from the front and I'll be a sort of... In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire and Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, the Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire and Water podcast network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel team-up. Yes. The brave and the bold? You know it. Marvel two-in-one. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain team-up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically... FW Team Up, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Letters from the front! Letters from the front! This is your feedback on episode 26 of First Strike Invasion, uh, which includes a discussion on JLI number 23 Mm. and DC villains in general. Oh yeah, that was a fun episode. I liked it. And a lot of people like to um, give their thoughts on Mm. villains, so we got some feel-good feedback. Uh... (laughs) Some feedback from, uh, let's start with Chris Franklin. This is all at fireandwaterpodcast.com. He says, among other things, he says, I was kind of surprised to see major disaster in this loser in Justice League. My first exposure to him was his battle with Superman and the TSR WizKids from one of those Radio Shack giveaway comics. I thought he was a big deal. (laughs) Well, I think you answered your own question. (laughs) He says, interesting discussion on the DCU villains. I like Deathstroke as a villain, but that's it. I don't want to see him as an anti-hero. I don't want him so badass he takes on the JLA in actual combat and wins. 
that was BS in Identity Crisis. Again, I think you've answered your own comment, Chris. Yes, yes you have. <laughs> and finally, he says, speaking of which, I hate Black Adam for much of the same reasons. As much as Johns loves his Superboy Prime, he also loved making Black Adam his own personal Namor and left poor Captain Marvel and his family in the dust. Black Adam was an interesting villain, but Johns seems to be more interested in fleshing out villains and making them the protagonists of his stories. Captain Cold and Lex Luthor included. I think it's possible with some supervillains. I mean, it's more probable that Black Adam would do something like that than, let's say, uh, Dr. Savannah. You yeah, know, well, he would, he would yeah, never... Yeah, there's no Savannah comic. And yet, if you don't have a Marvel family comic out, mm -hmm. if you don't have a stable Marvel family, then doing a Black Adam series, kind of, to, to uh, a Marvel family fan like yeah, Chris, and exactly. we did uh, like a Fire and Water team-up recently about the Marvel family, me and him... And, um, I mean, for a fan, like a super fan like him, that's just a middle finger. <laughs> exactly. Like, well, we, we can't be bothered to publish any Captain Marvel stories, but here's a, his villain. Yeah. I think that's what he reacts to. Rob Kelly says, I like this uh, episode a lot, probably because it focused less on invasion per se and more on the DC villains as a whole. Why do you listen to this show? <laughs> uh, I was never able to put my finger on it, but now that you've talked about villains created for a specific purpose... Having a short shelf life, I understand why I've never liked Doomsday. Every time I would see someone say, Oh man, when are they going to do Doomsday in a Superman movie? I'd ask myself, why? He's just a big monster. To me, he's not a one-hundredth as interesting as Luthor, Brainiac, etc. Even though he got to do something that no other Superman villain did. My fave underrated villain is Black Mask. He was created in the 80s during the Mensch Mandrake run of Batman, and he had a sharp look combined with a good, nasty backstory. I know he's been used a bit in later years, but I don't think he's ever showed up in a Batman cartoon, and certainly not in the movies. I think he's a prime candidate for promotion to A-list status. I don't know much about Black Mask. That's I, a problem. I know. But I always felt he was kind of like Harvey Dent for some reason. Kind of like Two-Face, but not... Well, he's full like face. A, yeah, he's full face. <laughs> Tim Price says, I disagree about Marvel lacking mirror villains. Oh, yeah. it, it was one possible difference between the two that we mentioned. I was unconvinced as well, even though I brought up the topic. He disagrees. The fact that the Marvel heroes often attract the theme villains makes it even easier to have mirror villains. Hulk Abomination, Spider-Man Scorpion before Venom. And I think it's important to count teams, as in Marvel, the teams are even more important than solo hero titles, Fantastic Four, Frightful Four, Avengers, Masters of Evil, X-Men, Brotherhood of Evil, Mutants, but that's just my two cents. Uh, Siskoid is right on about enjoying Z-listers, considering how many times the comics feature villains of the month. You have to enjoy these one-shot or one-hit wonders. For me, one recurring villain I like, Scarface and the Ventriloquist. Yeah, I, I love the Ventriloquist. Yeah, so much so that he kind of became this... A regular feature on the Batman animated series. Yeah, so and he was a very a late comer. It's like created in the eighties by Alan Grant, and so you know he's one of those villains. that's like wow, he could have existed way back in the forties. Yeah. He's not uh, one dimension. Does the puppet possess the guy holding the puppet? Is the guy holding the puppet the real? How does this relationship work? And they've done a lot of neat stories, not only on the cartoon yeah. but in the um, in the real comics and in the cartoon. Tie-in, the Batman Adventures, yeah. have some really great ventriloquist stories and spins on the idea of who's controlling who and other identities. And he's walking yeah. around with a sock puppet at one point that was part of his therapy, and that has a personality. So, um, I mean, he's, he's incredibly intriguing. 
Dr. Ange says, I've tried to decide who Wonder Woman's opposite villain is. Dr. Psycho, a misogynist male? Or Silver Swan, woman so obsessed with physical beauty she'll do anything? As for my own faves, I skew closer to Siskoid. My faves, when the boys were doing Who's Who, Hyathis, Manhawks, and Reactron. I guess that my biggest fave would be Two-Face. My favorite vi Legion villain is Mordru, thinking his sorcery is a nice foil to the gleaming sci-fi of the material. Lastly, DC goes to the villain trying to overcome and be a hero a fair amount. Just look at JLA right now with both Lobo and Killer Frost. Well, Killer Frost has to be a hero now because she's in the Flash show and she has to be good. That's corporate thought. Paul Hicks! Still alive. Australia's now rebuilding. Yeah, yeah. As far as we know, after the invasion. He says, I love a spotlight on the lesser villains, with the Oolong Island segments of 52 being the most recent highlight. I can't get enough of Ira Quimby, a.k.a. IQ. Uh, Michael Bailey says, so, Doomsday and Bane. He's got thoughts. <laughs> uh, the reason why Doomsday worked for me when the whole Death of Superman thing went down was that they followed uh, the seven issues of Destruction with seven more thoughtful character-based issues. Doomsday was a means to an end, so the fact that there wasn't much of him never bothered me. Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey was an entertaining story, and tying Doomsday's origins to Krypton was interesting, but I can name two more Doomsday-centered stories that I like, Doomsday Wars and Superman 175. Maybe his brief appearance in Infinite Crisis number 7, but that was because it was cool to see Superman and his Earth 2 counterpart take him down. Otherwise, I don't have much use for the character, and it seems like some writers use the concept as a club to beat readers with. I, I agree, you know, mm -hmm. Hunter Pro was good. It's just, at the time, I don't think Doomsday is anything that's earned that shot at killing Superman. Especially that it feels so much like a Hulk versus Superman fight. Because he gets angrier and angrier and stronger. Yeah, and stronger. yeah, and more and more indestructible. And, you know, he's so close to the Hulk that it's... Uh, Regardless of what they retconned but, about him later. But yeah, and, and that doesn't mean they can't, you know, embellish or explain or create afterwards. I mean, that, that goes... You make a good point, which goes to his next segment about Bane. He says Bane is a different story. He likes most of the Bane stories. Vengeance of Bane 2 was a great shot that showed his rise from defeat. His part in Legacy storyline was likewise interesting, even if the rematch with Batman wasn't what I wanted. Though I admit, that was on me. Bane of the Demon was likewise a solid examination of the character and explained his alliance with Ra's al Ghul. He's also had some great moments in No Man's Land. I love Gail Simone's take on him in Secret Six. Agree with that. Yeah. Where I really disagree with Siskoid is how he was used in Nightfall. I could be wrong, but Siskoid seemed to feel that he came out of nowhere and wasn't well developed. Unlike Doomsday, who had four pages worth of appearances before the death storyline began, Bane was introduced in an amazing one-shot that set out his origin and motivations. For several months after that, he began his campaign against Batman before breaking the inmates out of Arkham and watching them systematically wear Bruce down until Batman 497, where Bane made his back-breaking move. I like this because it made him more than just a bruiser that broke the bat. He had a compelling origin, a clear motivation, and was calculating about how he went about it. Like most good Batman villains, he was a dark reflection of Batman himself. A boy that lost his childhood and made himself into something greater. The fact that he used Venom was his biggest weakness, and ultimately, it proved his undoing. All of this is a long-winded way of saying that Bane is one of my favorite Batman villains, and the fact that the only adaptation that got him right was his few appearances on the Bruce Timm animated series 
makes me sad. Yeah, you can poke fun at the mask and say he was a roided out Mexican wrestler, but I think there's a lot more to him than that. I don't think we made fun of him for his mask. No, no. Actually, the mask <laughs> is one of the best parts of... I think maybe a little bit our hesitation with Bane comes from the fact that he's pretty much a new character. So yeah, he, he was nicely developed. They played a longer game than with Doomsday yeah. because there was more... To him that Doomsday yeah. is, there's nothing to do with it. But it's still created to do that. It's just like, okay, this, this is a longer game, but it's still meant to bring us to that point. Yeah. And from nothing. I agree with Michael. He's a better developed character. Yeah. Uh, certainly today. But he was a better developed character when he broke the, the bat's back than Doomsday when he killed Superman. No question. Yeah. But he was still created for that purpose. It's not like organically suddenly thought, oh, oh crap. You know, maybe I could do a, this Bane story. No, it was, it's all the same Bane story. It just yeah. takes longer. And yes, he's more complex uh, than any... His well, that's plans just, are that's more complicated, just, but... That's just better writing, also. Or planning. The, the singular purpose. But it's still Bane showing up, and suddenly this new character is manipulating all the uh, Batman villains. Yeah. He's breaking everybody out of... Uh, you know, He's a sudden mastermind, and also a physical threat. He's a doomsday, but for Batman. Built yeah, yeah, to yeah. be able to break Batman. I agree. Better, better character. He's a better character, though. But... I don't mind that he's got some legs and he's been yeah. seen after. In the same way that, you know, I don't care about Doomsday ever appearing again. Bane is fine. Bane is part of that. Like the Ventriloquist, he's a later day yeah. Batman villain. That's part of the rogues gallery and no problem. And his backstory is so interesting that you can explore that a lot more than... But doesn't take away from the point that you know, the, he was built yeah. for a certain purpose, just like Doomsday was. It was just maybe better handled. You ready for some uh, Diablo Frank? I'm always ready for some Diablo Frank. Uh, I might have to get a coffee, though. <laughs> he's kind of long-winded. Yeah. And uh, I I won't fall asleep, but I'll need something to do. Uh, yeah, I need to wet my throat here. Um, <laughs> here goes. Here are some excerpts. Thoughts. Not only about the Justice League issue, but about villains in general. Yeah, yeah. And he has a lot to say. So... Uh, here goes. He says, uh, in part, he says, I enjoy Justice League International number 22, which prompted me to buy the successive issue that was one of the first to approach the heights of moving day hilarity. On the strength of these two issues, I resumed collecting JLI monthly for another half year before dropping it again until uh, breakdowns. Invasion got him to read another six issues. <laughs> well, that's big. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you guys so closely associated the Injustice League with Suicide Squad without mentioning their seeming deaths in the debut issue of the Keith Giffen relaunch of that property in 2001. Shag and I are the main proponents of that volume against the overwhelming majority who dismiss it. As a DC neophyte, I was surprised to learn that this was the first ever Injustice League, having assumed that they were just the silly JLI-era incarnation of an earlier group. I never read the second volume of Suicide Squad. So that, that explains why I didn't have any information on that. Uh, he says, but again, in the 90s, I didn't know there was a difference between the Legion of Doom, the Secret Society of Supervillains, and so on, misfiling them under the Injustice League banner. I may have been passingly aware of Big Sur, but otherwise did not know any of the members of the team as pre-existing from first contact. I don't care to see any of these guys played straight, so Joe Kelly's use of Major Disaster was not welcome. They're great fun, and I only want them around in a comedy context. Okay, Bass, now imagine what he has to say about DC villains in general. <laughs> um, hmm, all right. 
I'm unwilling to devote the next week to researching DC villains from a comprehensive historical and subjective perspective in service of an essay post when you guys were obviously doing a more informal and broad discussion here. <laughs> oh, we're sorry. <laughs> For the benefit of my sanity and yours, I've altered the rules of your topic to relate to my personal interests and knowledge contemporaneous to the publication of Invasion. So we're going back in time. Okay. My favorite DC villains of the immediate post-crisis period, as of my reading in 1989, were the Joker, Silver Banshee, Ra's al Ghul, Major Force, the Cheetah, Vandal Savage, and Argyle. Argyle. The evil sock from Ambushbug. I didn't know he I existed. Love I love that character. Uh, basically, he's Doctor Doom, but he's a sock. Well, it's an army of lost socks. That's brilliant. Uh, that's a pretty good mix of A, B, C, D listers, but I'll add shoutouts to Plastique, Magpie, and Dumas to take it all the way to the Z list. So Argyle, not Z list, <laughs> but uh, Plastique, Z list. Okay. okay. Um, man, I wore the Boland Laughing Joker shirt at least once a week for two, three years until the damn thing was rendered unsuitable as a garment for excessive wear and tear. Uh, the Joker lost favor with me through the accumulation of evil acts, so that he was the author of every major strike against the extended Bat family aside from Nightfall. After a while, I couldn't respect Batman for not allowing Joker to be dealt with effectively. And I couldn't laugh off his assaults on Barbara Gordon or Jason Todd in the same way I could a nameless goon in a JLI annual. Joker got too icky, and it only seemed to add to his creepy-ass fan base. Now I hate the dude. I was such a fan of Deathstroke the Terminator at one time that I made my own custom figure out of a McFarlane Toys diehard. Now I wish it was an unmolested diehard figure. <laughs> <laughs> That's saying something. Uh, I could get past the underage sex aspect when I myself was underage, but it's a lot harder to forgive now that I'm closer to Slade Wilson's age. Though the true breaking point was Jeff John's revelations in his Titans East story arc. Any ambiguities about Age of Consent are dispensed with when there is no semblance of consent in play. He's a child molester. Fuck that guy forever. All-time favorites in the live-action adaptations? Terrence Stamp's General Zod, Frank Gorshin's Riddler, Burgess Meredith's Penguin, Louis Jourdan's uh, Anton Arcane, Michael Rosenbaum's Lex Luthor, Aaron Eckhart's Two-Face, and Cesar Romero's Joker. Catwoman is my favorite live-action DC villain, though, and I have liked all of her actresses to varying degrees, though none top Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns. I'm the on point with Diablo Frank when that one. Everybody he said, I love. But is he saying that... Is he saying that Halle Berry is good as Catwoman? I think he does. And you know what? Yeah. Okay. I'm down I'm, I'm not Berry. sure it counts. I'm not sure I don't he's counting it, it. I don't think he, he does count it. Okay. Uh, my list, let's say he uh, doesn't. Okay. Let's, let's, say let's just say he doesn't. It's the 366 Catwomen, yeah. Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer, and um, Anne Hathaway. Yeah. And they're all great. Uh, and probably the, the one from Gotham. I don't know if he's watching. And you know what? All the 66s, because there are three of them? All of them. Oh, yeah. They're, they're all great. He says, my list of DC's worst in live action baddies could include, again, approximate order of awfulness, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, Jim Carrey's Riddler, Jared Leto's Joker, though I dislike Heath Ledger's as well, uh, Howie Mandel's Mr. Mixelplick, and I'm going to say it the way Superfriend said it, I'm sorry, and Tom Hardy's Bane. Getting back to the Joker... I hate him in part for his gluttony, because every dark victory belongs to him. Let Black Mask, there's another Black Mask name check, torture Spoiler to death, or Killer Croc kill Jason Todd's parents to spread the blame more evenly and give all the main villains credibility. That's also why Bane and Doomsday fail to resonate. Their artificially conceived villain Sues, like Mary Sues, 
who jumped to the head of the line in the first time out and became manufactured one-hit wonders. Nobody is impressed when these dudes are gifted a great prize instead of earning it. Hush also falls into this camp. Yeah. True. That said, if I ever wrote comics, I'd go right after those guys, trying to take on the challenge of telling interesting stories with them to make them become the contenders they were sold as. Alternately, I'd turn them out further down the food chain. Supergirl going against Doomsday on her own is a lot more uh, a cause for concern than having Superman gather his gang to batter the beast for the ninth time. I will say that both Bane and Doomsday have exceptional origin stories, so the foundation is there. Because DC is more about archetypes and Marvel is more about personalities, the former is prone to inverted symbols like black mirrors when the latter looks for more varied contrast in their villains. Also, the mingling of talent, editorial, and imitation between the companies makes this less pronounced, hence the many evil versions of Spider-Man to carry their own solo projects and DC's late-life embrace of sympathetic villains and anti-heroes. He tells Ange, Wonder Woman's clearest evil opposites include, but are not limited to, Baroness Paula von Gunther, Devastation, and Genocide. Because Diana represents ideologies, she attracts conceptual opposition. But only in modern history has she had so many basic flip sides along the bizarro Professor Zoom lines. And he's the Wonder Woman expert of mm -hmm. the group. Uh, and then finally he says, I still like Bass, even though he's wearing uh, fresh from the box Speed Force branded Nike Decades. <laughs> I do. And finally we have Ryan Daly. Took a break from his baby to say, my favorite Superman villains... Not Luthor, not Doomsday, not even Brainiac. It's Metallo and the Parasite. Yeah, I see that. Uh, favorite Wonder Woman villains? Cheetah, Giganta, Silver Swan, Dr. Psycho, and Dr. Poison. A lot of doctors. Favorite Batman villain? Sorry, but it is the Joker. Just as Batman is my favorite hero, the Joker is my favorite villain, though I readily concede both are overexposed at the moment. And I imagine this moment has been lasting for 30 years. <laughs> it's been a while. It's, it's a big a moment. While. It's a big moment. So uh, let's end this on Facebook likes and shares. Uh, Aaron Head Moss of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Uh, Abel Padilla, Anthony Madge, Barbara Cut Sergio, Brian Ng, Christopher Luke, uh, Clinton Robinson of Coffee and Comics, David Foster, D. Bash, Derek William Crabb, Gene Hendricks, Jared West, Kalel Kamandi, Leslie Hall, Trigg III, Mark Beltron, Max Traver, Michael Bailey, who on Facebook said, it's amazing when someone says something you've said and then veers slightly away. It's why I like these two. They make me think. And this is what prompted his thing. Michael Wagner, Mike Peacock, Mike Witz, Ali Almeida, Paul Hicks, Rich Matsumoto, Robert Ward, who here said, you guys mentioned JLI Annual Number 4. This is the only issue of JLI I actually have. The Just League Antarctica. I heard about it and just knew I had to get my hands on a copy and loved it. The only thing I didn't like was the look of Nort. He looked unsettling. Not easy to draw. Not easy. What is, what is he? He's a what dog. Is he? is he? He's a dog man. He's, a, he's, a, he's weird. He's played as a dog creature. Okay. Uh, Rob Williams, Ruth Sutherland, Sebastian Varela, Shag Matthews of the Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, Terry O'Malley. Uh, on Google+, Plus, we got Plus by the Hammer Strikes. That's Gene Hendricks. On Twitter, retweets and favorites from Bat, Cabeza de Vaca, Cash Flag, Chris Lewis, Coffee and Comics, Dead as Hell. Just making it more dramatic. Uh, Jim Bal, John Coates, John Stinson, Fernand, Justice's First Don, Legion Bloggers, Martin Gray, Max Romero, Rob Kelly Creative of Film and Water Podcast, Treasury Comics, Superman Movie Minute, Hostess Ads, Pod Dylan, and Digest Cast. Rod Pruitt, Ryan Daly, Six Demon Baggins, Stellar Orb Norb, Tim Price, Vinicius Carrero, 
and Willie Yarbrough. Thank you for sharing and yeah. loving. That's how people find the, the podcast. If you want to be part of the mailbag or if you want to uh, leave comments, you can go on the Water and Fire, the Water and Fire, the no, Fire and Water. It's the Fire and Water. Go to the Fire and Water <laughs> Go to the Fire and Water podcast website, and that's where we have most of the discussion, but you can do it anywhere. Yes, uh, we've got a Facebook page and on Twitter, hashtag FWPodcast. Thanks again. Uh, we'll be back in a few weeks with more. Next time on First Strike the Invasion podcast, Superman number 27 and Adventures of Superman number 450.